0: Hello and welcome to Room Escape Divas, your podcast on everything Escape Rooms. Today we are excited because we have Michael Anderson of ARGN.com and we are gonna talk about ARGs. Woo! My name is Errol
1: Amanda. I'm Ruby.
0: I'm Mike, and we have a baby here that's
1: crying. And we have Gwen, the fifth diva! Yay! Oh,
0: the fifth diva, that's that's perfect. And yeah. welcome, Michael.
2: It is wonderful to be here.
0: Now, I think my first question is going to be is, would you rather be called
2: Mike or Michael? Uh, Michael is perfectly fine. And having a Mike also on this call makes things even easier.
0: Okay, so I shall call you Michael, and then we'll call the Diva Mike, Mike, and that'll be great. <laughs> now, now, I think I want you to tell a little bit more about yourself and, and about ARGN.com, but don't go too much into like huge definitions, because I think we want to learn more about you first, and then we're going to go and delve into the insanity known as ARGs.
2: Args. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, short version of it is I'm Michael Anderson, I've been running ARGN.com for uh, a little over 10 years now, I think. Um, and a lot of it is just writing about what does it look like to tell stories that are crossing channels, and that a lot of people are dealing with at the same time. We'll go into a lot more of that later. But uh, for me, yeah, it's just really been passionate about what does it look like to mess with what storytelling looks like. And ARGs, escape rooms, puzzle hunts, a lot of these areas are just such fruitful areas for diving into that fun question of how do you mess with a story?
0: Nice. Now, uh, a lot of people may not know what an a- actually, I don't even know if people like to call it ARG or ARG. So I guess maybe if you can give us a quick definition of what that is and, you know, what the proper nomenclature is as well, that'd be glorious.
2: Absolutely, and this is where things are going to get really weird and hairy. Um, So for the what people call it, yes, alternate reality game, yes, ARG, yes, ARG, uh, there is no agreed upon, yes, it should be this way, because there is no agreed upon anything for ARGs. Um, Part of that is going back to the history of alternate reality games, where um, really in the early 2000s, there were three independent projects that happened around the same time that were approaching what ARGs would eventually develop into from very different perspectives. So from the video gaming space, uh, Electronic Arts came out with this game called Majestic, where it was what does a video game look like when the video game might call your cell phone or send you a fax or send you a website. You also had the Blair Witch Project, which was taking a look at what happens when you have this horror story. And you present it like it was real to such an extent that you go out and get interviews with people um, who actually live in the area that your story is taking place. You build out a whole fake documentary and you're really building this real ecosystem of evidence supporting your fictional product. And then the one that most commonly gets associated with alternate reality games, uh, The Beast, which was Uh, combination Microsoft uh, project also going into um, uh, the movie Artificial Intelligence, which was the question of what happens if you take a full story and break it up into a whole bunch of bite-sized chunks so that um, the process of piecing all of this together is kind of a version of digital archaeology. Um, So with those three inchoate, before the term ARG became a thing, inspirations, the general definition that people use for alternate reality games has four parts. Part one, it's got to have a story. That one's easy. Part two, it's got to be distributed across multiple channels. So this is not something where you can pick up a book and everything is in the book. Part three players either have agency or the illusion of agency in advancing the narrative. So this is something where when you're dealing with an alternate reality game, if players don't act, if players don't do things, the story will stall out and will not progress so that this is something that is actively engaged with, not something that you can just casually watch. Uh, Final one is the weirdest and most simple one at the same time which is um, the concept of this is not a game. This is not a game is a very fancy term of saying when you are within the story world, you accept the fact that you are in the story world and you don't start pestering the actors saying, so how much are they paying you? Um, tell me what's your real name, what's your day job and that you are staying within that story universe and not pressing against it. Um, this is not a game is the fancy term of art phrase that's used for it. I generally argue that uh, suspension of disbelief is equally appropriate for that. Having said that, I started that mostly long-winded rant with the comment that these are drawing from dis- different disciplines where people are interested in different things. So those four factors of what is an alternate reality game are really sliding scales that people can play with in terms of what does it look like to design a project where uh with escape rooms even you can have a story that is a very robust story or you can have something where it's just very heavy on the theming and just enough narrative to justify the puzzles Uh, the same thing goes for all of those definitions that i talked about that those are kind of the linchpins of design and how much you want to ratchet up one area ratchet down another is based on what type of player base you're going for and what type of story you're looking to tell. And that is my longer rant of, hey, let's <laughs> talk about what ARGs are and their long-winded history.
0: It's interesting because if you ever go on, I can't remember what the subreddit is called. It's like one of the ARG subreddits. There's probably a lot of them, probably hundreds of subreddits. But you know somebody would post, oh, this is my ARG. And then you will have people that say no that is not an ARG. (laughs) And so I can imagine even within the community, I mean, as vast as it may be that there are a lot of people arguing uh, even now about what an ARG is. And so you came into ARGN.com. How did you get started with that? And what does ARGN.com do or what does it cover?
2: Yeah. So, um, ARGN.com is really focused on covering a lot of those sliding scale stories that I was talking about, where as somebody who runs a website that has alternate reality game based into the name, I really don't care about whether the name is used as much as I probably should, but uh, from the functional standpoint, we talk about these stories that are participatory in nature and that are largely dealing with having those stories branch out in interesting ways. Uh, Now that can be anywhere from some of the more interactive web series, going into immersive theater, going into escape rooms, going into puzzle hunts. Um, So from the, what do we cover? That's what we now cover. For the, how I got into it, uh, ARGNET actually predated my involvement with it, that I joined up with the site around, I want to say 2007, where, Back when I was in college, I was watching the presidential debates and having a floor party because I was the kind of nerd that would watch the presidential debates and have a floor party. And this was the Arizona debates. um, And something really struck out as odd for me where in the background of these debates, Um, they have these glass windows and a bunch of students were holding up this sign with a gigantic cartoon bee on it. And I I was trying to figure out what what on on earth is this protest? Is this some sort of environmentalism thing? Uh, What's going on? Luckily a day or two later, I'm checking the New York Times and they have an article about the debates and specifically these groups of students that were protesting that weren't really protesting. They were kind of advertising this alternate reality game that was going on for uh, the Halo 2 video game called I Love Bees. Yeah. And I Love Bees was a just absolutely crazy project in terms of taking a story, splitting it out in multiple parts. And they had a six hour audio drama that was divided out through 30 second payphone calls that these players needed to go to payphones to pick up the phones to answer to unlock audio clips. And then they'd need to piece it together and figure out this whole narrative of what is leading up to the launch of Halo 2. I discovered all of this just watching political debates and then reading an article that told me, oh, hey, there's this really cool thing out there. So that got it on my radar, um, started following it passively for the next couple of years. And then, uh, when I graduated from college, I taught in Japan for a year and while I was over there, just to make sure that I could still continue to speak English and engage with people in a language that's my native language, I started playing an alternate reality game, reached out to the then owner of the site, John Waite, and said, listen, can I write an article about this game that I'm playing? Just want to do a one-off. Uh, that kind of spiraled into taking over the site a couple of years later, and then just writing and writing and writing about this area that I'm really passionate about.
0: So basically what you're saying is that watch out if you get involved, because eventually they're just going to make you take it over.
2: No, I, absolutely. The, hey, can I do a guest spot is one of the most dangerous decisions you can make in your life.
0: <laughs> Before you know it, Michael Anderson, you might be running the divas. <laughs> <laughs> so you started your, do you know what ARG that was? The one that you wrote up? Oh, you probably do. It was your
2: first one. Uh, yeah. There. So the first alternate reality game I wrote up was a project out of Texas called Deus City which was actually a college professor as part of his dissertation was saying, what does it look like to design and break down an alternate reality game? So he created this massive, largely puzzle-based experience that was about uh, alternate universes. And I just really got hooked into that game and getting hooked into that game uh, 2007, 2008 was a great couple of years for alternate reality games. So I got to be in there for uh, some of Perplexity, which is a very puzzle-centric alternate reality game um, going into their craziness. And just a lot of the games that I then went on to write about were so compelling to me. It just kept going, oh, True Blood's doing a cool thing now. Yeah, let me look into that.
0: <laughs> so what would you say for people who are listening, and right now we're talking quite theoretical, so it might be hard to understand it in a practical sense. So if you were to compare, let's say, what you would expect out of an ARG compared to an escape room and even compared to like a puzzle hunt or an immersive story that you'll find, right? Because I know that there's a lot of lot of lines there that cross and it might be hard to delineate. but What would you say, Michael?
2: So from my perspective, again, I'd like to take credit for as much as possible. So sliding scale, all of that sounds wonderful to me when you're dealing with people who traditionally are using the term alternate reality game though, usually what you're dealing with is unlike puzzle hunts, uh, where you've got it much more focused on puzzles are driving the narrative forward it can be literally anything as serving as those gates for storytelling. And when I say gates for storytelling, uh, one of the early lessons that the Microsoft team learned when they were making the beast is the reason it was called the beast is when they initially created it, there were just an inordinate number of assets that they created for this story, going through websites, phone calls, everything. And they developed all these assets thinking, okay, it's probably going to take players like, two or three months to go through all of this stuff that we put online. And that content lasted for like two or three days at best. Because if you don't have gates on your experience, if you don't have things to stop them and slow them down, what might take one person a hundred hours might take a hundred people five hours each. Right. So. Uh, One of the core elements in most game design, most puzzle design, most storytelling design is what are the artificial breaks on the system that you introduce to slow people down a little bit. Really hard puzzles are one of those breaks in the system. So uh, for the puzzle hunt community, they are used to really hard puzzles that might be designed to be time sinks for very big teams where it'll take 20 people eight hours to go through this puzzle that style of puzzle is actually very popular in alternate reality games because when you've got hundreds of going on, thousands of people who are pretty good at puzzles, you really need those breaks to slow people down, to get them engaging with something, to buy yourself time to get the next part out. But there are also a lot of other methods that you can do that gating against. So with alternate reality games, when you're not dealing with an escape room where there's a 60 minute time limit, you can actually impose challenges that are time-based. You can impose limits that are time-based. So I mentioned I Love Bees. I Love Bees was um, many of the same people who worked on The Beast went on to do I Love Bees and they set themselves a bit of a rule that was update Tuesdays, that we will give you a bunch of content on Tuesday, you will go through that content and then the time from Tuesday until the next Tuesday is your time to discuss, figure out your plans, strategize what's going at around, and actually have community cohesion going on. So time is something that can be a gateway going through, but also uh, stealing more from the spaces of live action role-playing and a lot of role-playing games, actual character interactions can be something that drives that. So as you're building out a story and thinking, people need to unlock this piece of information it might be convincing a character that you're not a murderer that if everything is happening in the real world and you're pretending this is a real thing that's happening having hundreds of people all of a sudden happily reaching out to the same person saying hey i hear you're going through some uh, some stuff now you don't know me but i'd like to help that's kind of a mental block to get through and sometimes gaining characters' trust enough so that they listen to you can be one of those breaks. For uh, the True Blood alternate reality game, it actually started out where the main gate, the main challenge of getting into this um, experience was True Blood as a TV show happened right after vampires um, stepped out and became into the real world. The alternate reality game was what was the process of vampires doing that, stepping out. So you needed to, infiltrate your way into a secret society of vampires and the first test of that experience was there is a vampire gatekeeper on a video chat line you need to call her up and convince her that you are actually a vampire
1: Mm.
2: and that social engineering side of things was a challenge for it so puzzle hunt side of things a lot of it is focused around it's not quite so puzzle centric and there is only one team working through it. Escape rooms, when you open up and have more teams dealing with things, um, uh, it, I'm sorry, uh, with escape rooms, when you have more time to deal with things, when you've got more space to breathe, um, that gives you the ability to give different types of challenges and lets you focus a lot more on the story development as opposed to people are here to solve puzzles. Only some people are here to solve puzzles. Um, The other side of things for the final category with more uh, narrative design, uh, with live action role playing games, uh, many live action role playing games, especially the big kind of blockbuster games are positioned where things are very similar, except for alternate reality games, you are not playing a character. You're just playing a version of yourself who believes that all of this is actually happening. So that character impetus is another factor in it. Um, There are a bunch of other related sectors like uh, immersive theater that touch on similar hooks of why people come to it, but a lot of it is about um, those choices of with alternate reality games, you'll typically see a little bit more story forward with the positioning of it, a little bit more focus on making sure that this is something that does not stick to a single channel uh, and that it's hopping all over the place from where you are consuming story and that it's something where the time spans will typically be longer, although there are a couple examples of 10-minute arcs that have just really hyper-condensed versions of gameplay.
0: I always got the sense one of the differences as well between whether it be a Puzzle Hunt or an Escape Room and then an ARG is, as you mentioned, that you have teams within Puzzle Hunts and also teams within Escape Rooms. But with an ARG, it's almost like you're on one big team community it, yeah yeah and they all crowdsource the the interactions is like oh look i interacted with somebody and then other people can interact but usually there's somebody that makes that breakthrough and then it and then it continues now this is not probably not true for all args but it's like everybody is experiencing everything in real time and when one person solves it then hopefully that person will tell other people but i don't get the same competitive sense like in a puzzle hunt you probably won't tell anybody because you want to be you want to solve it first
2: yeah and that gets into some of the live feeder elements of alternate reality games where of a lot of these related spaces alternate reality games are actually more upfront about what's going on because um with puzzle hunts it's the com- competitive nature of while this puzzle hunt is going on we are keeping our team answers very secret because we either want to win or we don't want to spoil fun for other people. With escape rooms, you've got something very related to it where it's very hard to be in an escape room and spoil it for somebody else in the room with you. But the escape room community is very cagey about talking about rooms in too much specifics because you can be spoiled on an experience that is yet to come. Um, with immersive theater, it's very much the same way where, um, I recently went to sleep no more for the first time. And I had so much fun dealing with friends, being very careful about trying to give me advice on how to engage with sleep no more without saying things that would ruin sleep no more for me. So they'd give me very vague advice of, Hey, you start hearing techno music. That's a cool thing. Maybe you should follow it without telling me any reason why I would want to follow the techno music. Uh, With alternate reality games, because it is a live theater where a lot of the retelling of it is people sharing, this is the thing that happened. Um, It is very openly played, and it is very openly summarized so that people can watch a video, and even though they didn't play the game, they can get a decent sense of what's going on with it
0: see man pans you should get into args more because it's all about narrative which is your passion
2: i did
1: try to do an arg i think it's an arg um it was called uh i think it was following an instagram account called jade's in town and i can't remember what it was called I'll, i'll look it up in a sec here but I I remember getting overwhelmed by it because it, it was, uh, it's Gates as it were, um, was simply holding back posts, right? She would post something every day on this Instagram account from a character's perspective. Ooh, I've moved into a, into a, or I'm in a house I'm depressed. Um, and things would start happening to her and she'd be posting about it. And so, uh, and that was, that was very cool because the audience was kind of in on it together. Um, and they were her followers, right? They were her friends, and I felt a little thrill as I direct messaged her and what I thought was an answer, And, and she direct messaged me back being like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I never even thought of that, blah, blah, blah. I ended up getting overwhelmed because people would solve things so quickly, and then I couldn't keep up with the posts, and then, I don't know, suddenly she was if you look at it, like, suddenly she's possessed by a demon, and I'm like, all right, you know, I'll just go along with the ride, uh, and plus, I didn't know what to look for, I wasn't really trained um, in these types of things, where people would be finding things in these photos, I'm like, I don't see it, I, I don't know, um, but yeah, that was a digital only one, and I don't know, and again, I might be completely off as if it's an ART or not, but
2: no, and, and it, this goes back to I'll always say sliding scale. Um, that yeah. very much was an alternate reality game. Um, but what was also interesting about the experience is I don't remember the production team behind it, but I vaguely remember that they came from the immersive theater side and background. Yes, yeah. So there were elements, of, and every game kind of has its own norms about what people will share, what people won't share. Uh, for the first couple of days of that game that I was playing, I was seeing this is something that was playing out very much like a puzzle hunt that was done in public.
1: Yeah. Where, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: people would individually tackle the challenge, uh, the challenges, the puzzles. And because this was more puzzle centric, they wouldn't necessarily share those answers for the puzzles. Yeah. Um, and, part of that meant that for that particular community, the balance they found was very divided between is this a single player experience versus is this something collectively done? Um, you're actually seeing a lot more alternate reality games play with that method recently, where uh, one of the big ones that I've been in for a, uh, going on a couple of years now, I think, is a game called Unknown 9. And with Unknown 9, they had a 44 puzzle, puzzle trail that was not narrative in in any way, shape, or form on its own, but was used to get initiated into this leap year society cult. Oh, And it's a gorgeous puzzle trail, highly suggested, but it was designed and they actually told players this is a single player experience. If you try to get initiated and you work with other people, we we can turn around and say, nope, sorry, you didn't qualify. And so that is not to say that we didn't collaborate. It just shifted it into more of your escape room, more of your small puzzle hunt, people secretly working together in teams of three or four. And I even built out a a chat bot to do uh, hints for that puzzle experience so that people wouldn't always just keeping and hitting the Discord server with, hey, how do we solve this puzzle? So for that element of the alternate reality game, Everything was very kind of secretive hush hush. We will give you nudges, but we will never solve puzzles for you. However, they also had broader puzzle challenges going on that everybody as a community did tackle and once one person solved it, they would share it with everybody because that was what was driving the narrative forward. So uh, a lot of this is uh, for me, it's really interesting of seeing with communities, whether it's puzzle, whether it's immersive theater, whether it's um, alternate reality games, the norms on how you deal with challenges, the norms on how you deal with puzzles are going to be reinvented for every game as a matter of course. And it's just, if you're going into a community that is less familiar to you, you may not realize that. So one of the first things I do anytime I step into a space is feel out, okay, How is this community responding to that question of how much are we sharing which is going to encourage a little bit more of an open community versus how much are we nudging which is going to work really well towards having individual player cohesion between like small groups of people versus how much of this is a purely individualized experience
1: right that's very cool um i was wondering so errol was also saying by the way that that game was called arcana Um, So if you want to look it up, Um, I was also wondering, because for the non-digital ones, and a lot of what kept me from ARGs, I think, was the idea that a lot of it is very localized, that you would need to go to a physical space uh, to either get something or find something. Um, I'm not sure uh, how often that comes in. I think that was my image of an ARG, like from a couple of years ago when I first heard of them. Uh, And so I thought, well, clearly I can't play anything because I am never, you know, I don't live in this city. So what's the point? Um, But I guess it kind of on the flip side, it could be that collective consciousness thing where everybody's kind of working together. Somebody might find an answer to a puzzle. Somebody else in the city might go running to get that that clue. Um, I'm not sure if you can comment on that or anything or I might just be completely off base with that assumption.
2: No, uh, this is very much um, both part of the perception and to a certain extent part of how they function, where one of the big appeals, especially in the early days of alternate reality games, is these are games that can extend anywhere. So there would be um, oftentimes missions coming up in games. The, The one that's for me the most amazing example of, oh my goodness, this happened, was for uh, the Dark Knight movie. Um, There was an alternate reality game called Why So Serious? And my favorite spectacle-based puzzle for that is at one point, um, they had um, the uh, calendar man style puzzles where every holiday you have a different round of puzzles and challenges. And for one of these rounds, you finish up and you're told, here is a list of a couple dozen bakeries around the country send one of your players to that bakery and have them ask for a cake for Robin Banks. And when they pick up this cake, it would have a phone number written on the top of the cake in icing.
1: Oh, that's fun.
2: (laughs) So at this point, players pick out their phone, dial the phone number, and the cake starts ringing. Because what they did is these were two layer cakes. They um, took burner phones, shoved them in between the two layers and had that surgery go in soon enough to when people got there that the batteries didn't run out. And the conclusion of this challenge was you're getting a burner phone that you need to keep charged to find out when the next section of the game is happening.
1: Wow.
2: Um, But for the most part, and this is actually where args bleed in in very interesting ways with immersive theater and escape rooms is a lot of times uh, most of the alternate reality game would be something that's accessible for everyone and they would just have these moments of spectacle and these moments of craziness where things might extend out and people who happened to be in the right area got to be the superheroes who could solve it for everybody. Or even um, there was at one point a Twitter account, our dead drop where because so many different places could come up from it, we just came up with a database of players who were saying I would be willing to go out and do something stupid for a game, even if I'm not playing it, because I would like to help other people if all of a sudden Chattanooga becomes the place of the moment where we need somebody in Chattanooga, we need somebody now. (laughs) <laughs> Having said that, um, for the most part, alternate reality games weren't really location-specific, although uh, Toronto actually had one a couple years back called uh, Biologic, where there was, it was very much focused on live events with digital running in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, with immersive feeder, a lot of what immersive feeder does is it takes the concept of the alternate reality games and it condenses it down and limits it to a specific physical location. So with immersive theater, with escape rooms, even escape rooms are taking that concept of how do you take a story, chop it up into different parts and puzzles and build that out as an experience. Escape rooms take that idea and shove it into even smaller than a city, even smaller than a building. We're going for a room or a series of rooms where this is going to take place. So uh, a lot of it is just about the mentality of With puzzle solving with alternate reality games, you're not necessarily going in to be the person to solve the puzzle. You're going in to be impressed with, oh my goodness, look at that amazing puzzle. I'm so proud of us for solving it. With the live event features, it's not necessarily going in thinking, I am going to be the one who gets to do that really cool thing, but it's getting that vicarious thrill of, oh my goodness, look at that amazing thing that happened.
0: I like the, ass, I like the fact that you have a database of ARG agents that you can call upon.
2: to That do would things be for fun. You. Yeah. <laughs> I do not have that database, but uh, yeah, there's still a couple of those out there where uh, when weird things come up in particular cities, there is the unofficial hit list of kind of knowing who do I know in the area who is up for weird. And there is the official list of back when uh, Unfiction, which uh, Unfiction was the main uh, online forums that was discussing this type of game. Unfiction would go out and have this, Hey, are you interested in being a player to get mailings? Put your name on the list. You might end up getting, getting a trailhead to launch the game. Are you interested in phone calls? Put your phone uh, number in the database. You might get phone calls. Uh, Luckily that, The internet and the world has changed enough that I'm kind of glad that list is harder to find now. But um, yeah, this is something where a lot of the people, particularly from the active side of things, since they're interested in chasing that, uh, like um, to give you a very concrete example of a weird thing for me is um, earlier this year, uh, one of my friends got mailed an extremely creepy doll in the mail.
1: Oh uh, wrapped in a whole
2: bunch of really old newspapers. Uh, now I thought this was cute. I didn't know if it was an alternate reality game or not because nobody goes out holding a banner that says this is an alternate reality game. But I wrote an article saying, Hey, um, just in case, please don't send me creepy dolls. Um, this, this was a bit of a mistake because about a month later from writing that article, uh, at my work address, um, I ended up getting mailed a box with, a plastic hand with Zodiac Killer letters written on it, holding a tiny little air plant. Now, technically, they followed my instructions. They did not send me a creepy doll. <laughs> they sent me a creepy monkey's paw that right. if you translate what's on the hand, it spells out the website for this experience, 10parcels.com. And 10parcels.com, as and an experience, is completely based around there is a series of these 10 really creepy but cool mailings that are going out that are going to be kind of telling a story but are definitely going to be creeping you out.
1: That's...
0: I think well, I remember seeing that post. <laughs> I
1: actually remember seeing, scrolling through it, I mean, like, what? <laughs> I'm... Yeah. It's funny I mean, that you were
0: saying earlier that you know ARGs don't don't tell the world that this is happening. Also, in the ARG subreddit, I always see is, "Hey, I think this might be an ARG," and then they'll link to it, and they're not really too sure. And so, it's like you have to hope that somebody stumbles upon it if you create one.
2: Well, to a certain extent, I agree with that. To a certain extent, I disagree with that, where I think. Um... This goes back to how this is not a game is used and how this is not a game really should be approached. Uh, With the phrase, this is not a game, some people come up with a very uh, conservative stance of it doesn't just mean that you don't throw the fact that it's a work of fiction in characters' faces when you're interacting with them. It's that you as a company, you as a creator, can't tell somebody that you created something until after it's over. So of course, if you're doing that, it's gonna be impossible to find stories. Having said that, it's actively kind of dangerous to have players in the full open-ended, is this an alternate reality game standpoint? Because when I was talking about suspension of disbelief before, when you're dealing with suspension of disbelief in alternate reality games, when I read an article about somebody being kidnapped, if I think this is real, I'm calling the cops. If I am, and at one point I got sent a YouTube video of somebody waving a gun around and saying, I just killed a man. I was pretty sure that was fiction. So I didn't immediately report that uh, to the authorities, but it was something that the question of, is this an ARG or not, was severe enough that I didn't end up writing about it because... For me, in order to safely step into those areas where I am accepting this as fiction and I am acting as if it was real, I need to know for sure that it is actually real. And that comes up with phone number puzzles all the time, where uh, one of my favorite worst examples of this is um, not for the I Love Bees alternate reality game, but for the Halo ARG that followed that. At one point, there's this uh, janitor account that gets an Xbox account profile. And with Xbox accounts, they've got uh, nine numbers in what the Xbox ID is. So a bunch of the people in the player base thought, well, nine numbers is just one number away from being a phone number. Let's try the 10 phone numbers that you would get of just adding a digit to the end of the number and see what we get. Turns out, and this is amazing, one of the phone numbers they called Triggers um, a red versus blue audio clip. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Red versus Blue, but Red versus Blue uh, is um, a web series made by a company called Rooster Teeth that is a Halo machinima. And so when people who are Halo fans come across a phone number with a voicemail that is from people who are big in the Halo fandom think, they, they, oh my goodness, we found it. We need to get through to this guy to talk to him. Unfortunately, this guy was a college student who was in class and his phone's blowing up with thousands of messages. Luckily he, he took it perfectly fine. He thought it was hilarious. The fact that he didn't know that the ARG was going on, but the fact that he had the red versus blue um, voicemail obviously meant that he was part of the target audience for this, but When you don't know if something is real or not, because of the repercussions of getting that assumption wrong, I generally caution and I always behave as if it is true until I see that element of this is fake, because this is something that if you as a creator and even you as a player are uh, irresponsible, that it starts getting into either harassment or danger uh, territory.
1: Right. It's a it's a weird line. I remember there was a not a it's not an ARG, it was more like immersive theater. Um, but here in Toronto there was somebody who was doing a theater show in a car or in a van, I think, at the time. No, no, this one was the car, yeah. So they're doing one in a car and they actually someone did call the cops on them, uh, because it was a theater show about um to people getting taken hostage, and so there were knives shown. There was somebody in the trunk banging on it, shouting help, um, and it was not obvious to the general public for through which this car was driving around, like downtown Toronto, uh, that you know maybe it's a theater show. So they uh, somebody did call the cops on them, and the cops actually the the theater show did go through the the means that they or go through the process of letting the Toronto police know that they were doing this, but they happened to get the police officer who just happened to not get looped in on it and who was fairly new and who then, um, I, long story short, at the end of all of it, while they're all sitting in the station, the police chief is having a very good chuckle about it, but the police officer who arrested them um, is was sitting there ashen-faced because she was holding a gun at them and she said, I almost shot you. Like, I almost shot an innocent person. And so like, that's a, it's a very fine line with these things sometimes.
2: Along those lines, uh, yeah, one of the issues with alternate reality games is uh, what we could get away with before, you probably can't now. But even with that, uh, the philosophy I like to take is very much what uh, improv everywhere does where improv everywhere is philosophy uh, and they do random acts of weirdness in cities. Uh, If you've ever seen No Pants Subway, that's one of theirs. If you've seen the MP3 experiment videos where massive people are swarming around, that's one of theirs. Their philosophy is generally, if we are doing something weird, the thing that we are doing should make bystanders' lives feel more special and magical. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't make them worry. And so they will do um, stories where it's just, let's get get everybody in uh, Times Square and do a time stop where people freeze for, uh, for 60 seconds. They will do coffee shop scenes where the same events will play out on a five minute loop for a full hour of just, oh, same thing happened again, same thing happened again with a number of actors. But it will be something where it is so surreal that people realize, oh my goodness, I don't know what this is, but I know this is not real.
0: (laughs) In the ARG world, do you have stats getting back to this? What is, you know, this is more surreal and fun as opposed to this is serial murder happening? Because a lot of ARGs sound like it likes to follow the uh, this person has been kidnapped plot.
2: Yes. Um, So my general feel for the space is that it still trends more towards horror. And a lot of that comes from the inspirations of when people find something that was really impactful for them, they want to tell more stories in that space and they want to really run with it. So within the web series community, uh, there's really two schools of thought of what exists in the ARG space for web series right now. One of those schools is the Slenderman mythos, where uh, for Slenderman, um, many of the main videos in that actually kind of qualify as alternate reality games where um, Marble Hornets is the main one where it was you were following these kids as they're dealing with an elder tar. So you've got tons of works that are just inspired and riffing on that. Uh, You've got Adult Swim has their unedited footage uh, footage of a bear experience. Uh, They've got a lot of Adult Swim video experiences that delve into horror in really creative ways. And because people who are interested in the, in the genre find it, that expands out into that territory. Having said that, there are still other schools of the community and thought that might not get labeled alternate reality game as much, but are still playing in very different areas. So one of my favorite projects uh, was something called the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. And the Lizzie Bennett Diaries took the plot of Pride and Prejudice, And they said, what if Elizabeth Bennett was a grad student today and was vlogging the entire plot of this book? And so that inspired an entire generation of kids to be developing these literary web fiction projects of how can we adapt this classic story to the modern era. You've got Carmilla, which is doing, hey, what if the first vampire story, but um, uh, lesbians in college that you've got um, the um, March, I think it was called the March sisters letters that was dealing with um, just other versions of how do we adapt this story and have it play out almost as an epistolary experience. You also have, um, and this is also on the web series side of things, but one of my favorite projects was a romantic comedy called Must Love Robots. And Must Love Robots was the story of a um, robot, and by robot I mean guy in a cardboard uh, robot costume, called Oliver, who was searching for love. And one of the ways that people were playing this alternate reality game was some of the players went on dates with Oliver. (laughs) It was the (laughs) full-on romantic comedy arc so that, oh my goodness, uh, who Oliver really loved was his best friend from the story all along. Finale of it is just a video of him running through the streets of New York in the cardboard robot costume. And the backing audio was all of the players who called into this number offering encouragement to him, telling him, go after her, don't leave her. And so that's one of those areas where the final challenge was call in but you've got a plot that's romantic comedy so um, yes for my druthers i'm not actually that much of a horror guy i really love to see people play with what does alternate reality gaming look like when it's in the romance category what does alternate reality gaming look like as a comedy what does alternate reality gaming look like as an adaptation i'm still waiting for the musical I have my fingers crossed for a ARG musical.
1: the musical? Uh, speaking of that, though, like, uh, and how also ARGs can inspire other mediums, uh, one thing that is really interesting to me is, and I think Errol let me in on this, because, I again, I didn't really know the term ARG until, like, a couple of years ago. But, for instance, um, take-home escape rooms, for instance, I've been noticing... They're starting to use, they they've been using ARG elements to them. So I think of like things like Tales of War or Society of Curiosities, where they are a a take home puzzle game they have pieces of paper and everything but you also might have to go to websites to find this you almost might have to email somebody to get an auto to get a response back you might have to uh find a youtube video or something to to uh to do and so it's it's interesting to me to see how other mediums can also adapt the ARG into their own to to enhance their immersion
2: yeah, and one of the reasons why I'm so um, hesitant to use definitions for a lot of this stuff is because for me, a lot of the most interesting projects are those hybrids that are playing around with what does it look like if we take what we've learned as immersive theater creators and pull it into the arc space or vice versa. One of the things that we benefit from with this is A lot of the creators in the escape room communities, a lot of the uh, creators in the uh, puzzle hunt communities, a lot of the creators in the immersive theater communities have worked in multiple disciplines with this just within their specialties. So you will naturally get a lot of that bleed where you're seeing people pulling the best of or the most interesting for their purposes from one discipline and shifting it into another. So that um, there's this one text-based kind of escape room digital experience called subtext that I absolutely love. Where the experience is somebody else is trapped in a room and you are sending him text messages to tell him how to get his way out of there. Uh But as you're going through that process, your interface is text messaging but the experience plays out as a single player alternate reality game because you might be going to websites. You might be having things about your phone do interesting things. So um, yeah, for me, I don't care what people call projects unless it is hindering people finding things that they love.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, What I care about is people saying, Hey, I did this thing that I loved over there. How can I take that and use it for something else? Um, I mentioned before, I've done a little bit of LARPing and there was uh, one particular puzzle that I loved from the MIT Mystery Hunt that involved dice that I thought, I wonder how I could adapt a puzzle for the LARP setting. And so I built a puzzle that was basically, okay, it's a faction-based game So I'm going to send send out faction based sets of dice where multiple factions need to get together to get all the pieces to be able to actually solve things. The puzzle itself was fairly elementary. It was the social engineering and the team building that was the real puzzle challenge there because I saw something in another area. I thought, oh my goodness, I would love to use that in the area I'm playing in right now. And it was just how do I tweak it to fit with how the community functions and to fit within how the game and story functions.
1: I'm also curious, um, in comparison to Escape Rooms, what really interests me, because you've mentioned it, uh, it is interesting you mentioned the Blair Witch Project. I was 16 when the Blair Witch Project came out, and I was that teenager who logged onto their website and questioned if it was actually a real documentary of kids getting lost that they decided to just like release and (laughs) us, but um but what interests me is that there's a lot a lot a lot of ARGs um or ARGs in general seem to get a lot of their beginnings in officially licensed material like these big movie releases or these big game releases um whereas for instance Escape Rooms um it kind of came after the fact, right? You start an escape room and then, and then you start seeing movies trying to license their own as a, as a promotional thing. Um, that's just more a comment, but I don't know if, if, if you have, have any other comments about that.
2: Yeah, so, and, and part of this is a visibility thing that uh, one of the challenges with alternate reality games as I've been describing kind of as the big blockbuster crazy experience is if you're talking about building something that requires really good video, really good websites, really good audio, really good puzzle design, that in itself is a massive project management and product management hurdle. So (laughs) as a barrier to entry of getting the massive projects in place, this is something where either a lot of people are going to be volunteering a lot of time. So I view the... I view the MIT Mystery Hunt as an ARG that um, is just really puzzle-centric because again, I like to make everything about ARGs. The MIT (laughs) Mystery Hunt only functions because it has dozens going on, hundreds of people basically saying, I'm taking on a part-time job for the next year to build this experience as a thank you to the community that I love so much. Um, Mm -hmm. That if people were to put a dollar value on the production of the MIT Mystery Hunt, I'm pretty sure everybody would cry. Um, Especially (laughs) when you factor in the time of people, which is the thing that gets devalued the most. Having said that, um, the massive alternate reality games will typically get a lot of press, but the indie space and indie sector is still a a very thriving one. They just haven't found a way to monetize as well. Right. Um, So... Um, I I mentioned before that the history of ARGs, you've got um, the Majestic, Blair Witch, and the Beast is kind of the core. None of those games were called an alternate reality game. The term alternate reality game actually emerged from the first player-driven ARG that came after that where people said, we love that. We want more of that. Nobody's making it right now. We need to make it for ourselves.
1: Exactly, yeah.
2: And so a lot of the current scene is actually driven by a lot of those indie projects. We're especially in the web series space, especially in a lot of the Twitter fiction space. um, There's this uh, guy named Aidan Elliott who's got a Twitter account called uh, The Sun Vanished that is just a combination horror thriller where what happens if just the sun stopped coming up? Oh, And oh, great. guys got like uh, 300, 400,000 followers on that Twitter account of people who just really love, I wanna see this story uh, blow out. And because it was much more condensed for Twitter a little bit of video, the scope of what he was doing was narrow enough that it could be a small team working on it that you've got a lot of those web series coming out where um, uh, there's this guy, Nathan Barnett, who's got a YouTube channel, uh, dad channel. I I think it's also referred to as dad feels. That is just him as a fictional influencer trying to be the biggest YouTuber (laughs) for nefarious, he might be a robot and uh, also a space alien reasons. And by narrowing in the focus for something that can be managed by a smaller team production, it's something where the time investment is still crazy. But for a lot of the NDRs, as long as you're willing to swap out time for other resources, you can do very low budget financial outlay projects that still feel very big It's just, you know, you're investing that time in it. And sometimes those people are going through and specifically pitching, hey, look at this cool thing that I did. You can pay me to do that in the future. Yeah,
1: that's true.
0: It's also really hard because you need a lot of, if you want to deliver it through different mediums, as Michael was saying, then you need access to a lot of different mediums. Yeah. And so, for example, if you're calling phone numbers and emails and websites, then you, you need access to that. And then, you know, so if somebody offers you a website, you can put it on my website and then you find out it's in Squarespace. And it's like, uh oh, no, and that means I'm going to, you know, and then it just becomes complicated. I mean, you know, this is the problem we've had. It's like, we should try to make it more expansive for this little mini ARG. And then it's just like, oh, it's going to be really hard because now we have to get (laughs) buy-in from more people. And as you can imagine, if you don't have a lot of time, when you add more and more people to the mix, that exponentially just makes it longer and more difficult to get, to get, to get it going.
2: (laughs) And and for my side of things, I have never made an alternate reality game myself. What I do though, because I do like experimenting with how do you play around with medium and in weird ways is I do what I refer to as shenanigans, where, um, uh, I think it's two years ago now I found out I would only need to pay 65 bucks to take out an elevator ad in the office that I worked in one day, just having that presence for a couple hundred people I work with and a couple hundred other spillover people who would just see it. So, um, Obviously, what I did was I uh, registered wannamakerghosts.com and created an unofficial ghost hunting society for my office. (laughs) At that point, just one weekend, I went in with a video camera, filmed a bunch of fake security footage of me running around the office with a white sheet over me, intentionally really bad. And yes, I am lucky that people didn't come across me and think (laughs) of other reasons I might be running around an office in a white sheet. but it was just a very short narrative where there's maybe a five minute experience built out, but it was testing, can I use this channel in an unexpected way? Um, When I had some some coworkers convinced a pet adoption agency to bring in a puppy to the office. And this made me so happy that I wrote a resume for the puppy to try to get him adopted. So a lot of it is about, as, as we're talking about alternate reality games, Mentally, we're thinking, oh, it has to be months, it has to be years, it has to be really long. This can be as short as minutes, and this can be as short as two or three hops of channels. It's just what you're trying to do is delight and surprise. And the more time you give yourself, the more resources you give yourself, the further you can go with the story.
0: Exactly. Ah, time. That's a wonderful ah, thing. Ah, time. To have, eh?
2: So,
1: I had one other question here. Um, so, for myself, who would like to get more into ARGs, do you have any advice for anybody who would like to try playing them? Apart, we're well, obviously going to uh, to ARGnet to see, you know, all of the articles and all of the stuff that's out there.
2: I think my biggest question for anyone looking to get into the alternate reality gaming space is going to be what part of that space excites you the, mo- the most? Because with a lot of alternate reality games, for the traditional live theater version of it where it's playing out in time, I can tell you, hey, there's two or three projects that are going on right now that are amazing. But more than that, I can point you to things that are ARG-like that are always around to say, hey, listen, if what you're looking for is more of the puzzle-based experience of an alternate reality game and you don't really wanna deal with the community, then there's games like the Black Watchman, which is a Steam game that's a single player experience made by a company called Allison Smith. Uh, and for the Black Watchmen, it's a series of missions that works like a puzzle trail, except that the narrative is much stronger going through it. And some of the puzzles aren't puzzles, there's social engineering they are um, finger quotes hacking, that it's going for different routes of what does a puzzle look like and that'll give you a good feel for how do you broaden your puzzle horizons. If what you're interested in is story, then there are really good books that come up with the illusion of alternate reality games and give you the feel for that without actually doing it. Um, Curtis Chen has a book called Waypoint Kangaroo. Um, You may recognize the name Curtis Chen because yes, he's one of the puzzle pint guys. And knowing that he's one of the puzzle pint guys, yes, there is a puzzle hidden on the cover of his book that if you go to his website unlocks a puzzle driven prequel to his book that again, single player experience. If more of what you're looking for is the community side of things, then no, it won't necessarily be getting at the narrative elements of alternate reality games, but a lot of the augmented reality games, the um, uh, games like Niantic with uh, Pokemon Go, with Wizards Unite, involve forming up teams, going outside and working together on tasks ranging from very small tasks to massive tasks on the uh, Niantic side of things with uh, Ingress. Uh, um, So story is one of the hooks. Community is one of the hooks. Puzzle is one of the hooks. And uh, if just people playing around with media in different ways are really what excites you, that's where you turn to a lot of the Adult Swim products where for Adult Swim, they've got a series of just massively creative experiments, largely coming out of the same studio whose name I forget, like unedited footage of the bear that starts out with a pharma ad and turns into just this wildly crazy and creepy experience. So a lot of the, what should you do if you're interested in alternate reality games is delve into what type of experience are you chasing? Um, at the interactive side, this isn't around anymore, but uh, one of my favorite projects that was just, oh, that's weird and fun is Jay McGonigal who worked on a lot of the early alternate reality games made this experience called Top Secret Dance-Off. And in Top Secret Dance Off, it was just that you would put on a mask, go out in public and do dancing challenges. The dancing challenges are not TikTok challenges. They do not expect you to be good at dancing. In fact, the assumption is you're probably going to be bad at it. But a lot of that experience was based around, hey, can we get people to go out and be silly in public and kind of just reclaim some of the public domain, some of the public space for people, as opposed to just that place that you walk through.
1: Cool.
0: I have a quick question as well, cause I get the sense when it comes to ARGs that have puzzles that because they need to gate it, cause there's going to be like maybe a thousand people doing these puzzles then the puzzles tend to be more on the almost the brute forcing side of things like if it's a cipher and so it's not so much that you will be able to figure it out there's going to be a lot of built-in ambiguity because you're gonna have a thousand people going to be trying a lot of different things on this puzzle so you have to on purpose make sure that it can't be solved quickly if you want to use it as a gating so they might throw out a cipher and somebody's going to have to find out what type of cipher that is. And that might take one person, as you said, it might take them a thousand hours to do that because there's like hundreds of different ciphers. And so I usually found that and and I could be wrong, but I get the sense that the majority of puzzles for ARGs with uh, a heavy bent of puzzle gating tend to be like that.
2: Oh, you've got me into puzzle snob mode. You've been Uh waiting for this. the challenge for me with alternate reality games is people often overestimate their ability to create puzzles Ooh, because that's the they've rooms too. seen puzzles. Creating an elegant puzzle period is ridiculously hard, but as you're dealing with a medium that's as focused, if not more so on the storytelling, Sometimes you have people come into the space who are amazing at uh, puzzle creation and I will immediately follow them and obsess over them because, oh my goodness, this person gets it because the puzzles do get to be a little bit more nuanced. But a lot of times when you are creating for, okay, this needs to be hard. If you don't have that experience to make it hard but fair, which is very hard experience to get, you're making it hard for the sake of being hard so um uh one of the very common things to come up with uh, in alternate reality games as you mentioned is going through what are literally all the cipher types possible and okay um is making somebody learn how to how to do an enigma cipher hard enough to buy me a day for it'll take a couple hours for this uh this group of people to get through the puzzle um what that often devolves into is there are certain puzzle tropes that are hard for the sake of it's not easy to detect them and it's not easy to work through them so steganography which is hiding words or even other images in images is something that comes up a lot Uh Uh, a lot of the base 64 ciphers are things where uh, i was talking with somebody over direct message earlier who was saying, Hey, I came across this uh, code that one of my players sent me and I don't know how to solve it because he wasn't from as much of the ARG puzzle puzzle community. I looked at it in five seconds and said, Oh yeah, base 64. Here's the uh, Google drive link they're giving you because when it gets used enough, the thrill of solving the puzzle is lessened for just recognizing, Oh, this is a shift cipher. This is a um, uh, base 64, where I think the puzzle hunt and puzzle fan community is a lot more advanced in this regard, is they've gotten very creative in using those common puzzle tropes, but hiding the fact that it's there a little bit better. So uh, I will never get tired of semaphore puzzles. There's just so much flexibility you can have with semaphore puzzles of doing a how are people holding their flags puzzle that (laughs) actually using flags. People keep getting creative with that and doing brilliant things with it. Um, With a lot of the more base ciphers, most of what you can do is just chain them together and say, okay, let's go from visioneer to shift into base 64 into binary and see how many of those we can just combine layer after layer after layer to give you illegible results that still force you down the next road of, okay, here's how I translate that next layer of illegible results. So yeah, part of it is, um, yes, puzzles will typically need to either be on the harder end, or you need to build in checks into the system that encourage people to do it alone for certain parts or you need to have a mix of puzzles so that you have some puzzles that everybody can tackle and others that either you need the experts diving into or large groups working together to tackle.
0: I've been thinking about the difficulty of puzzles uh, <laughs> previously, mostly because I've been focusing the audience. So I've been trying to create puzzles that are more accessible to newer audiences and that's that's always been challenging because even something like semaphore you can't assume that anybody would know what that is
1: i had my first a couple weeks ago i had my first okay this looks like semaphore to me and and my friends looked at me like what what even is that
2: (laughs) i'm just glad i haven't memorized it yet
1: oh yeah
0: (laughs) And especially when the audience for some of my puzzles tend to be the escape room audience and they're not used to a lot of different ciphers and they may still not be used to semaphore even though I have seen semaphore in escape rooms, just not as often. You see you see Braille and Morse code a lot. Th- yeah. Those come yes. up all the time. And oh, Pigpen. Pigpen's huge. Escape rooms love uh, Pigpen. I, I do love Pigpen.
1: <laughs> Pigpen is fun. Sorry.
0: Sorry, yeah, but then after that, then it gets more, then you can't assume that they'll know it. And you also don't, you you know, it's kind of hard to search for those things too. Like if you don't know it exists, how are you going to search that this is a thing?
2: Well, and that's why, and uh, this is the area where the MIT mystery hunt obviously goes way overboard with the puzzles are extremely hard, but they are also very fair with their hinting. With the flexibility of alternate reality games giving you multiple layers, it also opens up the sort of educational component for that, where you can give people a hint of the language to search for that will lead them to the next step. And that phased and staged puzzle design, especially as you're dealing with harder puzzle design, uh, hard puzzle design gets that educational factor in there. With ARGs, especially for the ones that are going uh, uh, in the neighborhood of months, there's also educational uh, onboarding that you can go through. Where again, the, the main reason that I talk about the unknown nine puzzle and love it so much is because it's a series of graduated puzzles that teach you the tricks you need as you play through them. So one early puzzle will explicitly be focused on, it gives you a very obvious version of an indexing puzzle where you get a number, you get a word and you count in the number of numbers into the word to pull out and extract the letter you need. And it'll underline the letters that you uh, need for it. It'll give you the numbers written there. It will make that first time as easy as possible so that they added it into your toolkit for future puzzles.
1: Cool. I just uh, sorry. I just had a, a realization, and I was I got excited. I realized I have played another ARG before, kind of maybe when I was younger, and it was right on my shelf. And it's this one, and it's like a computer game called Missing. And at the time that it came out, it's like on discs and everything, but you had to email people, and you had to. It was like as a kid, that was just like, like blew my mind. Anyway, that was that was uh. Just sorry, big side note. I got excited. <laughs> yeah.
2: But, but yeah, and, I, and it's one of those weird things of, um, I talked about I Love Bees as my first alternate reality game. I don't know if that's true because definitions get really weird on the fringes. That um, I've I roomed with a bunch of nerds. And so some of what we do is have foreign language movie nights. Uh, <laughs> one particular movie that we watched was something called All About Lily Show. And All About Lily Shosho is a movie highly depressing about fans of this music artist who are like middle schoolers. And I think it was a Japanese movie. Um, And on the screen, you see the BBS messages from a lot of the people who are following along with this musician's career in parallel with this deeply personal experience the kids were going through. for the movie development of this, the uh, creator of it got into writer's block. So he basically created a BBS, reached out to a musician, had her create a sample of um, like ambient music and set up a fan community for this musician who didn't exist and played out an example of the story that the movie would become in that BBS server. <laughs> I. Again, my Japanese is kind of horrible, so I don't know if a lot of those BBS messages that you were seeing in the movie were pulled from actual chat logs, but this is something where it was an experience where the interactive test story fueled into a movie. Um, cool. That's neat. Uh, for escape rooms, the first escape room I did was back in, I wanna say, 2008 or 2009, uh, whatever year the Dark Knight came out, I went to Five Wits and did the tomb. And weirdly for that tomb experience, it was also the launch of an alternate reality game because somebody at the conference I was at reached out to the Five Wits team and said, hey, can we take this? uh, It wasn't a cryptex, but it was the pre-cryptex puzzle tubes that you'd historically see. And can you hide it in the tomb for the players so that when they discover this, they have the trailhead for my experience. Um, Does the tomb count as an escape room? I don't know. Does the tomb count as an alternate reality game? I don't know. But a lot of these things are hitting on those same emotional narrative and structural check marks of how do you play around with the edges of story?
1: Well, that's cool. I can't wait to see what new ones come out. And I can't wait to see ones I play soon, yeah. hopefully. I'm going back to school, so that might be tough now.
0: Oh, that's true. Oh, it,
2: um, And this is completely unrelated, except the talk of the tomb triggered me against this. Um, something that I didn't realize for years was, um, are, are you guys uh, familiar with um, the Spark of Resistance Escape Room? It's one yes. of the early ones? Um, I had no idea about this until recently when I was listening to a podcast called The Argonauts Podcast that goes through and basically does oral retellings of alternate reality games as the archives that players left have said. And apparently Spark of the Resistance partnered with Frog Fractions 2 so that when Frog Fractions 2 was doing their alternate reality game, at one point, they sent a group of players to do Spark of Resistance And as with the tomb experience, hid part of the alternate reality game puzzle into an existing escape room. So there's really cool things where um, uh, there's a horror web series called Pizza Time Pizza by this um, student named Alex Bale. Hilarious project, it is about a um, not a cult organization that still murders people and does everything that you would expect to be a cult called Pizza Time Pizza but uh, he needed places to film. So he went to the local escape room and said, hey, I need to do some prison scenes. Can I film in your prison room?
1: Uh, That's awesome. Um,
2: But yeah, as you get that flexibility of, um, hey, I don't need to do a pure alternate reality game. I don't need to do a pure escape room. What does it look like to bridge that gap? Um, Trapdoor Escape actually Um, their solution to quarantine and the the coronavirus was to go back to their roots. And before they were an escape room company, they were an alternate reality game company doing streaming escape style experiences where you were remote controlling the protagonist through experiences. And so their strategy for how do we cope was, hey, let's do what we've already done before.
1: Yeah, yeah and especially if you already have the formula for it, so much the better.
0: (laughs) You were mentioning that you don't make ARGs, but have you ever been tempted to?
2: Not really, because for me, a lot of what excites me is more of the short burst side of things. So unless you consider the Wanamaker ghost experience that I built out, or I did an in-office scavenger hunt where uh, hunting down and finding keywords uh, hidden at various parts of the office would unlock videos of me acting like an idiot. Um, unless you are viewing those smaller experiences as alternate reality games, I actually am kind of terrified and freaked out by how all encompassing some of these games can get. And I like having short burst experiences. So for me, I would actually be much more likely to play around more with creating things like some of the uh, at-home mailing companies, uh, like some of the uh, text-based solutions that are giving you a small taste of it without diving in fully. Um, Also, I'm absolutely terrified by the project management side of things because I'm the worst at project management.
0: Yeah, finding somebody to do that for you is amazing. I'm speaking from experience.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today and for opening up the world of ARGs. I'm obviously really want to delve more into them. And I've already downloaded the demo for that one you mentioned on Steam. Uh, What is it? Black Watchmen?
2: Black Uh, Watchmen. Another one that gives you a really nice taste for that is there's a series of uh, lost phone games that started with Sarah is missing but there's Sarah oh, is yeah, missing oh yeah i've played Simulacra. those yeah I, I, again a lot of those games are creating the illusion of the alternate reality gaming that's experience true. just yeah. with fictional entities on the other side of it
1: yeah that's true Oh yeah, that was the other, the, the bad thing about the missing game I mentioned earlier uh, was that I, I played it when I was still on dial-up, so I had to wait for my family to be done with their internet before I could check the next step in my game. It was awful. Yeah. Anyway.
2: <laughs> well, it, that, that actually goes into um, one of the weird definitional things with alternate reality games is because the term emerged in the early 2000s, um, alternate reality games predate the iPhone, when we were talking about telling a story across channels and, oh, there might be some telephone going on, there might be some video going on, there might be some websites going on, those were different channels because you were using different devices for it. Now, like with a lot of alternate reality games, Simulacra, that would be something where in the 2000s had to have been sprawled across a bunch of stuff, but because of the way technology has converged, it can be packaged into a single game, a single app, a single experience.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. We could probably talk for another two hours on (laughs) this. I could also say how Simulaka is the worst game to play when you're on a streetcar and there's scary things happening on your phone. Um, But um, (laughs) anyway, but once again, thank you so much for joining us. And if people would like to find out more about ARGs or what's out there, they can go to, is it ARG.net?
2: It is ARGN.com. And then because I am horrible at writing articles on a frequent basis, Longer form articles on ARGN.com. I will very frequently post updates of, hey, there's this new thing that I don't know anything about on the Twitter account for ARGNet, which is at ARGN.
1: Great. ARGN.com. Fun. All right. Well, I will talk us out. Thank you so much, everybody.
0: Thanks, Michael.
1: I can hear Mike's dog. Fun. Room Escape Divas is brought to you by Inverse Genius. You can day, go Michael. to inversegenius.com to find other fine podcasts just like bye. this one. You can also email us at RoomEscapeDivas@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Uh, you can go to Facebook and click the like button on the Room Escape Divas Facebook page. Or if you are using Twitter, you could use the hashtag Divas. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. bye <laughs>